Church, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. And as we anticipate celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper, later in our gathering today, just a reminder that kids are invited to stay with us for the duration of the service. But we're in Ephesians chapter 6, continuing our trek in this portion of the Bible. But it began by a question, have you ever had a bad job? Ever had a job that you really didn't like and that you wanted out of? Perhaps you had a heavy-handed boss or maybe just a job that was not fun at all, something that you could not wait to get rid of, to be rid of. I remember getting a phone call from a friend of mine back when I was 17 or 18 years old saying he had a job for us to do, that it paid pretty well, wanted to know if I was interested in helping him with that job. And of course, I'm wanting to make a little cash, easy cash at the time. I can handle anything. So I said, sure, what is it? I'll, I'll be there. And so he proceeds to tell me that it was laying some sod for a gentleman in our church. And I said, okay, where, where do I meet you? He gave me the address and I show up and it's like a whole yard of sod, pallets stacked up of sod in a brand new front yard. And I had never done such. And of course, an hour or two into that job, I'm thinking, you're not paying me enough. This, this is not worth the task. You ever had a job you didn't like? Reminds me of that show with Mike Rowe, Dirtiest Jobs. Perhaps you've seen that where he goes around and does difficult and nasty jobs uh, to, to expose the hardships of them. Well, this morning, we hear some instructions to a group of people who had a less than desirable job, less than desirable jobs than others. And uh, our text addresses them and tells them how they're to carry out those jobs. And so let's hear what God's word has to say about such. Ephesians chapter 6, as you find your place in the Bible, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Paul continues, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Would you bow with me? Lord, this morning we pause to ask for your help. Lord, to thank you for being a God who speaks to us and a God who is with us. So, Spirit, guide us now to the proclamation of your word that we might know and serve you. It's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've been talking about relationships, the gospel and relationships, uh, but we now come to a relationship that feels quite a bit more foreign than that of marriage uh, or or parenting. We look around the room and and many folks gathered in here are are married or have been married. Many folks are, are parents and we've all had parents, but none of us are masters or slaves, thankfully. What are we to do with this? 
What, what are we to make of this? How are we to digest this? Well, to begin with, the slavery that's described here was significantly different than the slavery that took place in our own nation's history. See, American slavery was racially motivated and usually permanent. But this slavery, the slavery of the ancient Roman world, wasn't racial and it often wasn't permanent. Now, the Bible is quite clear in condemning kidnapping or slave trading. We could point to Exodus chapter 21 or 1 Timothy chapter 1, but it never explicitly condemns or defends slavery. But God gives us some principles that reveal where he stands on it and some principles that eventually led to its abolition. You see, slavery in the ancient Roman world was complex and it was massive with some 60 million slaves or roughly one-third of the population. And listen to what one scholar says about slavery in the ancient world. He said, slaves did not merely do menial work. They did nearly all the work, including oversight and management and most professions. Some slaves were more educated than their owners. They could own property, even slaves, and were allowed to save money to buy freedom. No slave class existed, for slaves were present in all but the highest of economic and social strata. Many gained freedom by age 30. There were a number of different ways that people might end up in slavery. There were even white-collar slaves. So ancient slavery was different than American slavery. But as people who worship the Lord God, we stand opposed to any and all slavery. We're to love our neighbors, not own them. We're to treat others the way that we would like to be treated, not as second-class citizens. Jesus himself came to set the oppressed free. The words of one pastor, Christianity is a release the captives faith. The Bible's clear that God calls the powerful to treat the vulnerable with dignity and grace and to acknowledge that the vulnerable are valuable to God. Now notice that Paul speaks directly to the vulnerable in this letter. I can imagine Paul there speaking, he's writing, but speaking to those that are gathered there in the first century church, there in an assembly, in a home, making no distinction between the wealthy and the impoverished, the powerful and the vulnerable, suggesting that not only are husbands and wives, parents and children, Slaves and masters all gathered together in one place for worship, but that each one of them is equally as important to the church as the lady or the fellow sitting next to him. He's already said in chapter 2, verse 14, for Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You see, the impartial judge and the sovereign Savior extends his kingdom's reach across ethnic boundaries to Jews and Gentiles, but also to every single social strata of society. Elsewhere, the Bible says it this way. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 3. He said, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One in 
Christ. Remember the hymn that we were singing just a few weeks ago, the one about uh, that night, that holy night when Christ was born. Or the verse that goes this way, truly he taught us to, to love one another. For law is love and his gospel is peace. Remember what it says next? Chains shall he break for the slave is what? Is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. That's what's going on here. The gospel destroys oppression beginning in the church among God's people. It's destroying oppression and it's informing relationships. And specifically now, superior, subordinate relationships. Recasting such relationships in light of the gospel of grace. You see, we might not be slaves, not like the ones that Paul's addressing here, but we've got a master. And in every single relationship, we're to serve the master. And if you know the gracious master, you'll want to honor the master. We're seeing here that the gospel changes the way that we do relationships. And today we see that God's people want to glorify Christ in every professional relationship. God's people want to glorify Christ in every professional relationship. By professional, I mean official. Like like any relationship in which one party is expected to submit to another. Paul says in verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. He says, obey your earthly masters or your your fleshly masters, implying that there's another master, one who rules over every earthly master and whom every child of God is to serve. In essence, I think this is what Paul's saying. He said, because you know the gracious master, consider your work here, all of it, as an act of worship to him. What if we always approached our vocation our work in that way. I received a text message just a few days ago, I think uh, the week before last, from someone special in my life, and it read this way, that little uh, smiley face guy, I'm not sure what you call that emoji. Today I'm thankful I'm working. Uh, and that was that was from my, my wife, who's taken a maternity leave position uh, at the intermediate school. Uh, maybe I should clarify that. She's, she's working for someone else who's had a baby. <laughs> we, we already covered that base in the marriage and parenting study, right? We're, we're good. So she was working on this particular day, and I received this message from her, and I thought, you know what? What if we always had that mentality? If we always did everything with that perspective? Today, I'm thankful that I'm working. Now, there's a little backstory on that text. It puts it in perspective. Maybe I shouldn't share this. <laughs> but on that particular day, I was home with a sick child, not one of these, but uh, another child in the family, a younger uh, child, and uh, had just sent her a message that there were things coming out of that child that should not come out of that child in that form. Today, I'm thankful I'm working, right? You see, not all work is enjoyable. 
right? Right? Not everything that we do is desirable, but we were made to work. Not all work is desirable, but work is a gift from God. Did you know this? That work predates sin. That work itself predates the fall. It's a gift from God. We were made to work, even though sin has affected work. But according to the Bible, regardless of what we do, our labor is to be done unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our boss, and he's a good boss. And our vocation, whatever it may be, is an opportunity to exalt him. An opportunity to exalt Jesus. God's people want to glorify Christ in every professional relationship, including those relationships where we're expected to submit to someone in authority over us. Paul's saying that God's grace compels subordinates to submit and serve superiors with sincerity and integrity as if serving Christ. Now, that's a tall task. He's speaking to those in lesser positions about how they're to live out their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in those positions. He's not endorsing slavery, but he's undermining it. He's speaking into an existing social state, telling slaves that they're under the lordship of Jesus, living under the watchful eye of Christ himself. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Do your work, whatever it is, for the glory of Jesus. Respect those in positions of authority over you. Be sincere, working with integrity and honesty, not hypocritically or half-heartedly, but verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. In other words, don't just do the work, but do it with a positive attitude. Someone might say, you don't know what I have to do. You don't know who I have to work for. Well, no doubt Paul knows this would be especially difficult for slaves who often did face injustice and mistreatment. And so he essentially says to them, do it for the Lord. Consider Jesus to be the true master that you are serving. This message is very similar to what he says in Colossians to those in this same position. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do, work for the Lord. Why? Verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Like, like what, if, what if believers live this way? Like, what if we as followers of Jesus Christ were the very best at what we did? We gave our all. We served wholeheartedly. We were faithful and honest. What if companies and employers that we worked for took note and noticed that those who claim the Lordship, claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ were the best workers? who helped not only the bottom line of the company, but had a platform to tell others about Christ himself and the goodness of his grace. Work for the Lord, for no deed done unto Jesus goes unnoticed by Christ. I work for the Lord because we serve a gracious master who will reward us one day for our faithfulness here. Now what Paul says 
to slaves isn't nearly as shocking as what he says next. What does he say next? Verse 9, he says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. I can credibly, Paul moves here rather quickly toward mutuality and reciprocity. In other words, Paul's brief here because he intends for the guidance that he's just given slaves, the instruction that he's just given to Christian slaves to also be adopted by Christian masters. Not, not only does God's grace compel subordinates to act in a certain way, but the very same grace also compels superiors to act in a certain way. God's grace compels superiors to respect and serve subordinates with gentleness and justice as if serving Christ. And when I say superior, I'm not talking about superior value, but to a position of authority. And incredibly, throughout this entire section, Paul's reducing the power distance. He's reducing the power distance between members of Christ's body in the church on the grounds of God's grace. He's moving toward the mutual submission in Christ with which he began this entire section, this entire pericope. In chapter 5, verse 21, he said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hey, church, family of God, household of faith. Brothers and sisters in Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, the gospel changes relationships. We have a new master, and there is no favoritism with him. He's impartial, and he's just. He's gentle, and he's gracious. And so, brother or sister, you you may be the human boss. You may be a human boss, but you're to imitate the character of the real boss in your relationships with those who report to you. And in that world, slaves were often mistreated. Certainly, slavery was different than what we perhaps think of, but they were often mistreated. They were often beaten, if out of line, a reminder of their low status in that day. But Paul says, not with you. No threat of violence among you. Don't you dare threaten those under you. Give up the threat of violence. Show respect and gentleness and justice. For these two are members of Christ's body. Precious people for whom Christ died. There were slaves in the early church, but they weren't second-class citizens. They were brothers and sisters in Christ, fathers and mothers in Jesus, made in the image of God and granted citizenship in the kingdom of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Friends, God's people, those who know His grace, who've turned to Christ in faith, want to glorify Jesus in every professional relationship, be they superiors or subordinates, living and working For the gracious master. Do you know the gracious master? Do you know the Lord of lords? The one who holds all authority in heaven and on earth. And yet came to the earth. Who took on human flesh. So that he could lay down his life as a substitutionary sacrifice in your place and mine to redeem us so that we could be right with him. The one who died to love 
you. Oh, he's good. He's kind. He's gentle. He's just. So wherever you go and whatever you do, church, work for him in the workplace. Work for Christ. How can we begin to apply this text that feels so foreign and strange to us? In the workplace, work for Christ. Do your best. Give your all. Be one of the first to show up and one of the last to leave. Serve wholeheartedly. Do business. Sweep floors. Teach. Paint. Build. Supervise. Invest. Design. Cook. Care for clients. Treat patients as if unto the Lord. Late Pastor John Stott said this. He said, it is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it. Or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were the honored guest. It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients, and nurses to care for them, for shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books, and secretaries to type letters, as if in each case they were serving Christ. Are you serving Christ? As I thought about that, I can't help but think of the resolve of the Ukrainian people in the midst of of an onslaught. The people, many of them untrained, taking up arms, enlisting in their country's military to defend it against one of the strongest militaries in the world today. Obviously, fighting, defending for something much greater than themselves. Church, may we be a people who do our work, who serve, who live for someone and something much larger than ourselves. May we serve Christ the King. Are you serving Christ when you go to work? Whatever you do. In the workplace, work for Christ. In the workplace, work for Christ. And in the classroom, learn for Christ. In the classroom, learn for Christ. Students, kids, teenagers... Adults, do your best. Give your all. Listen and learn and read and study for the glory of Jesus. Because just as the worker's money is a gift from God, so too is your mind entrusted by God to you to be used for Him. So use it for Him. To advance His gospel and to glorify His name. In the workplace, work for Christ. In the classroom, learn for Christ. And on the field, play for Christ. On the field, play for Christ. Any athletes in here this morning? Anybody playing spring sports? Quite a few. I see that. I see some hands. I see that hand, Thomas Knight. Thomas, catch, throw, hit, run. For the glory of Jesus. Any musicians in the room today? Musician, play, sing, march, dance as if unto the Lord Jesus himself. Not for human praise, but as an act of worship. Reminded of that famous line in Chariots of Fire by runner Eric Liddell, who is Scottish missionary, runner, runs for the Lord. He says this. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his presence. Respect your coach and your conductor. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. 
God's people want to glorify Christ in every professional relationship. So in the workplace, work for Christ. In the classroom, learn for Christ. On the field, play for Christ. And finally, in your home, live for Christ. In your home, live for Christ. After all, this whole section of Ephesians is about the household. Paul's speaking into existing household relationships. So husbands, love your wives out of love for Christ. Wives, follow your husbands out of love for Christ. Children, obey your parents out of love for Christ. Parents, disciple your children out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love Christ? Just thought about that. I was taken back to a conversation I had more than two years ago, back in 2019, interviewing someone for a position here in the church, someone that was well qualified, perhaps overqualified for that position. And uh, he's sitting back there behind that computer screen in the sound booth today, Mr. Pete Collins. And I remember having a conversation with, with Pete in that context in a position where he was making significantly more money than he would be making for this position that he was considering. And I just posed the question to him, why are you interested in this? And I hope I never forget what he said. He said, you know, what, what better thing to teach my kids than the value of the gospel over the dollar? Value of the gospel over the dollar, wanting to use the gifts that God had given him for the glory of his name. May we be a people who value the gospel over the dollar. More than materialism, more than whatever it is that we're tempted to strive for. You see, we're talking about living for Jesus because our lives have been purchased by Jesus. So let's work for Christ. Let's learn for Christ. Let's play for Christ. Let's live for Christ. Not as if works can save us. They can't. They never will. For Christ himself and his work has already saved us. Jesus' work saves us, but He saved us, church, to do good works. And if we know Him, we'll want to live for Him. And if you've received His call, if you, if you know the gracious Master, then you will desire to live for Him, to sing His praises and to proclaim His name. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, right? The glories of uh, the uh, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Remember that next verse: My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of Thy name. Do you know the gracious Master, my friend? Is is He your God? Does He have your heart because you've seen his heart for you oh brothers and sisters let's be a people who follow god's example let's follow his example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god see church if you know the master's Love, you've gone from dead in sins to alive in Christ, from strangers and foreigners to fellow citizens and members of his household, from slaves to sons. And as children of God, we are heirs. And regardless of whatever temporary earthly position we may hold, we have eternal riches in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be loved by him. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Well, friend, do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? This morning we've got the opportunity in just a moment as a faith family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to remember the 
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. To take the bread and the cup, to remember the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, so that we could be at peace with God now and forevermore. An opportunity to participate joyfully with thanksgiving, celebrating what Christ himself has done for us. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Celebrate his grace. Turn to him and live, and then live for him. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us right now, Lord, to remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich on the eternal throne of heaven, yet for our sake became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. Oh God, we thank you for such grace. Oh God, we thank you for rescuing and redeeming lost and broken sinners and transferring us into your kingdom, giving us a new master, a new Lord, a new Savior, a Savior of sinners, a Redeemer, and a reigning King. Father, as we take the bread, as we take the cup, Lord, as we continue in worship together, lead us to know and exalt you. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.